I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And And this this is Hashtag Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hashtag History, episode 38. I'm Rachel. Oh, and I'm Leah. Yeah, she's here, too. Leah's also here. Uh, Welcome to part two of the Salem Witch Trials. Last week, we laid the foundation for this infamous and horrific incident in history by giving you some background on Salem Village versus Salem Town, the Puritan faith, and women's roles in this society. If you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, you're going to want to make sure you do that because at the conclusion of last week's episode, we teased at a possible conspiracy behind the accusations made. And then when we ended the episode, we ended it with the first of what would become many, many deaths, which means that in this week's episode, well, we're talking about those many, many deaths. But before we do that, let's kick it off with a drink. Oh, yeah. Um, Sorry. I feel like I'm like reacting weirdly to everything you're saying. I'm like, (laughs) I think my cat's distracting me (laughs) to be TBH. Um, So I tried looking through the six million versions of the witch, witches, witch, the witch's brew cocktail and decided to do a mashup and kind of create my own. I love when you do this. Okay. And this is going to become more and more common because eventually we will just get all the way through every cocktail that's ever been invented. (laughs) And so I'll just have to start redoing them or making them up. What if that happened? Like we eventually just get through every single thing that ever happened in history. (laughs) I mean, at the rate we're going four seasons in a year girl i know i know it's possible <laughs> no it's we'll not. see which one we hit first which, uh, which incidents we want to cover versus which i'm gonna cocktails guess, are available i'm gonna guess cocktails yeah. will run out but that's all right this we can easily come up with cocktails you can't always easily just bullshit history so. <laughs> so my weird mashup creation is called leah's witch bitch cocktail i love it so much <laughs> so the cocktail contains one shot of vodka a squeeze of lime and lemon juice Mm -hmm. i put both in there and i did a a fresh lime it was impressive yeah grown from nico's parents garden that's very impressive yeah a half cup of pomegranate juice but our um, local store and by ours i mean rachel's because she lives six thousand miles away from me um (laughs) didn't have just regular pomegranate juice so we're drinking cran pomegranate so it might I mean, it, I may, I'm, I mashed it up, so it doesn't really matter. It might shake it up a bit, but we both agreed that we maybe prefer the crayon pomegranate yeah. juice to just plain old pomegranate. We'll see. We'll see. And then a half cup of good old-fashioned OJ. I love any drink with OJ. Yeah. So um, you're supposed to, and I didn't even look at the instructions. I just That you put together? Yeah, that I put together. Huh. Um, you're supposed to add the vodka and lemon and lime juice, top with crushed ice. I don't have crushed ice. Um, I'm living out of a 1970s refrigerator right now. Yeah. Um, you're supposed to add OJ on top of that, top with more crushed ice, and then add pomegranate juice, and it's supposed to look layered. I didn't do that at all. I think it has a gradient to it. Did. <laughs> Before it settled. 
Okay. It had a slight gradient. I'll take it. Okay. So we're going to try this. And again, this is the second week in a row. There's not really much backstory or history behind this one, guys. Which maybe that's good on these two episodes because there was so much freaking to talk about. I did it intentionally. We, yeah, we actually. did this on purpose. It was, it was on purpose. Okay, cheers. Cheers. Cheers, witches. Cheers, witches. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's another good one. It's not? It's another good one. Oh, I think you said it's not a good one. No. Anything with OJ. Why is it so good? Yeah, we did. You, We did so good. <laughs> I say that with zero effort from me. We did so good on the cocktails. Do you like me making you your cocktails again? Yeah, I really appreciate that. Because no, no raw egg yolks unshaken no raw egg yolks 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 no um egg shells mm, yeah wasn't there one other one where i was oh uh what we were just talking about we had a blue drink when we <sighs> did the william kemmler incident and she put um, too much food coloring in guys yeah that's all i'm gonna say but just know that i was experiencing the consequences of too much blue food coloring over the course of the next three days so <laughs> Yeah, I do very much miss you making the cocktails for me, and I'm very glad we can record in person together again. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's it. So, oh, wait. What's your rating? Oh, oh, the last one was so good. Uh, yeah. Comparatively, it's not a Jolly Rancher, so. I eight out yeah. of ten. Oh, for sure. Because it's delicious, and I would drink this all day long. It's just that we just came off of another cocktail that was, like, immediately... A 10 out of 10. It reminds me of a V8 Splash. Did you ever drink that? No. No, because I was always disturbed by the V8 just tomato But there, the Splashes didn't have any t- any vegetables I just, in it. I remember my dad buying V8s, like the veggie ones. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And, like, being grossed out by them. So me I've too. never tried any kind of V8 ever. V8 Splash was bomb.com. Mm. It was, like, more expensive than any mixed juice drink should be, but... But I made my it. parents buy them for me as a teenager. <laughs> you bet I did. I'm trying to think what I made my parents buy me growing up. I made my dad buy me tampons every week. I mean, not every week, but. Okay, so picking up where we left off from last week's episode, the court system was overwhelmed by the number of witch hearings. Accusations were flying left and right. It was hard to keep up with it all. Following weeks of hearings before the magistrates, that included all kinds of theatrics and eventual imprisonment, the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, Sir William Phipps, got involved and established the court of Oyer, Oyer? Yeah. Oyer and Terminer. It's like oyster, but without the st. <laughs> That's exactly it. Now, Oyer, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, that means to hear, and Terminer means to decide. So essentially... The court to hear and decide what to do with each of the persons accused of witchcraft within Salem. This court was presided over by seven judges. None of those accused were allowed counsel because, um, duh, witches aren't allowed a defense. They aren't allowed attorneys, nor witnesses, nor evidence for their defense. The majority of the witness testimonies in these matters that came from those that were afflicted were admissions of spectral evidence. Do you know what that is, Leah? I'm going to guess spectral meaning like through word of mouth like through different you're yeah you're on to something something you're on to something okay i had to google it spectral evidence was testimony from those afflicted that here's an example of it 
no accused person A did not necessarily physically come up and bite me or scratch me or prick me with needles, but the apparition or the shape of accused person A did. And the only way that someone's specter could do such a thing is because that person had given the devil express permission to do so. They had given the devil permission to use their shape and to afflict others. Nearly all evidence in the Salem witch trials was spectral evidence. I just Does have that make to, sense? Yes, totally. I just have to assume everyone's bored out of their mind and they just are like, give me something. Give me something to do. To do, yeah. to think about. I think it's uh, boredom. I think it is like gossip was a big thing in this small town. I think there are new colonies, so they're still figuring things out and there's a lot to talk about. And I think they're a deeply, deeply religious community and they believed, I'm going to talk about this a bit later, but they believed they were like a city on a hill. So it wasn't that far-fetched to think, yep, the devil is personally attacking our community Mm. because we're doing these wonderful, great, righteous things. Yeah. For a while, most people accepted that that spectral evidence was real, true evidence. In fact, in the case of Sarah Good, whom we introduced in last week's episode, only one person came forward to attempt to debunk the specter theory. While Good was being questioned in the courtroom, one of the afflicted girls screamed out and said that Good's specter had stabbed her with a knife and actually produced a broken knife tip to the court to prove her claim. But a man that was there in the courtroom that day was like, um, excuse me, that's my knife. And I literally watched you break the tip of the knife off in front of me. The judge gave no credit to the man, though, and told the afflicted girl to please continue with her testimony, but to uh, please stick to the facts this time. Crazy shit, right? I just, I can't fathom it. I know it's a different time, I'm, you know? I No, I can't fathom it either. I didn't... Uh, put this into my notes but when i was doing my research there's even this incident where the girls are like they're being afflicted right in the room they're acting weird they're contorting their bodies they're writhing around Uh and they say i can see the specter of this witch like in the room she's like doing this to us so grown-ass religious men would take bats and like swing in the air trying to hit the person and the girls were like calling the shots like you got her yes you just hit her in the back there's blood everywhere you got it so I mean, hearing you say that, also not just boredom, also people that are people, specifically young girls and women, who are very much not given any power over themselves or anything surrounding them. And this is the one and only time they have ever been given any type of power. Uh, Mic drop, because, you know, I have talked about like going back for my master's degree in history. After researching this episode, I feel like that would be my dissertation that like, that's what this was, was women that had no voice found an outlet where they not only had a voice, but men acted on what they said. That's why the Salem Witch I mean, if, if my friend was flat out lying, but getting to say what she wanted, act how she wanted and be heard by people, I'd be like, well, that seems I mean, all she's doing is lying and she's yeah. getting to talk and actually getting to use her voice for once. Yeah. Yeah. Looks looks good. Yeah. Looks not yeah, and why wouldn't I do that too? Yeah. Yeah. These court proceedings were nowhere close to what we see in courtrooms today. Things like hearsay and gossip, which are not allowed in courtrooms at all today. And also even the testimony of minors isn't used quite as much. These things were not they're not used in courtrooms today, but they were the primary sources of evidence during the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. 
There was one other piece of evidence, though, in addition to spectral evidence, that one could use to confirm the identity of a witch. And this is the presence of a mole. (laughs) If a person had a mole or blemish of sorts, this could also be used as additional evidence to convict. Like, girl, I would be dead. (laughs) We got so many blemishes. Got some moles. Oh, my God. Got some raised freckles (laughs) you know got a birthmark on my booty i'm gone you're gone it's i'm dead (laughs) it's bad no no one is safe here no no one is safe here because remember in last week's episode we talked about the very first three people to be accused were probably most likely like the three least liked people in the community Mm -hmm. but over time these accusations got so crazy that church going god-fearing women were accused of witchcraft as well Mm -hmm. no one was safe Mm -hmm. now accused person after accused person began to confess to witchcraft the primary reason for this was because those accused spotted a trend if they confessed to an alliance with the devil and in turn accused another They were often let off the hook because, like Leah actually mentioned in last week's episode, many Puritans believed that once you had made a confession, then it was between you and God to atone for your sins. These confessions ranged from admitting that their specters had indeed pinched some of the afflicted girls all the way to admitting that they had flown around the town on broomsticks at midnight. That's interesting. I didn't know the broomstick thing. It's here. Was, I didn't think it was a thing until after this. Until later. No, that's what I thought was interesting about this case, too. It's like the broomsticks were there. The warts were there. Yeah. All that really witchy stuff. <laughs> it was those that refused to confess, those that were adamant in their innocence, that faced the harshest punishment. Like I mentioned at the very end of last week's episode, Bridget Bishop was the first person hanged in the Salem witch trials. She was hanged on June 10th at what became known as Gallows Hill in Salem Village. In 2016, the Gallows Hill Project, consisting of a number of historians, they were able to officially confirm the exact location where the hangings occurred. They were able to confirm that the hangings actually did not occur at the higher point on Gallows Hill where legend had always placed them. It was actually at a bit of a lower point. Leah, I've uploaded a picture of the precise location that the Gallows Hill Project founded and photographed in 2016. Oh, it's a Winco. It's a Walgreens. Oh, a Walgreens. Sorry, there's a tree. um, (laughs) Covering all but the W. All but the W. I don't know why I assumed a Winco. But yeah, it's a Walgreens and there's a a truck making a delivery and there's a parking lot in front of it. Yeah, that is correct. Gallows Hill, where dozens were hanged in 1692, now overlooks a Walgreens parking lot. Cool. Bishop's hanging was followed by five more on July 19th. One of these five being Sarah Good. Five more on August 19th, and eight more on September 22nd. Eight? Eight more. One of those hanged on August 19th was a man whose name might sound a little familiar if you listened to last week's episode. His name was George Burroughs, and he was one of the many ministers that had served in Salem Village for a short period of time before Reverend Samuel Paris became minister of the village. If you will also recall from last week's episode... It was in Burroughs' household that Mercy Lewis, one of his first accusers, had been a servant for some time before serving in the Putnam household, one of the most wealthy and affluent families in Salem Village and one of Reverend Paris's greatest supporters. When Burroughs was brought up to the gallows, 
he did something particularly interesting. He recited the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You remember it. You guys know it. Now, the reason this was interesting was because it had long been reported that a witch could not physically recite the Lord's Prayer. So where did this theory come from? Just four years before the Salem witch trials and the height of the witch craze, Boston had hanged a woman we talked about in last week's episode, a woman named Anne Glover, under accusations of witchcraft. During her trial, she was commanded to recite the Lord's Prayer, but was unable to do so. In fact, she responded in what appeared to be an unknown language, perhaps the language of the devil. Her inability to recite the Lord's Prayer was what placed the last nail in her coffin. Historians now know that the reason she was unable to recite the Lord's Prayer was because she was an Irish immigrant, with Irish, of course, being her native tongue. But this didn't matter. Folklore spread that a witch could not successfully recite the Lord's Prayer. In fact, there's even um, a gentleman who, instead of saying he was hanged, um, and instead of saying, hallowed it be thy name, he said, hallow it be thy name, and they hung him for that. I would have done that. Like, I mean, it's 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 an easy, perhaps he never actually knew it was hallow instead of hallowed, or perhaps he was nervous, and I mean, it's an easy, common mistake, and I he mean, was hanged for that. I mean, let's be honest, my aunt called chest of drawers chester drawers up until like two years ago we we explained to her no it's chest of drawers not chester drawers that's hilarious i think that's a perfect example though it's like a um i don't know or like um how taylor in taylor swift um got a long list of ex-lovers get along with starbucks lovers right thank you yes exactly (laughs) exactly it's I don't know what that's called when a yeah, phrase sounds know. like another. But it's very common. It's very common. And that doesn't mean you're a witch because you said hallow instead of hallowed. Actually, that's a TikTok trend right now. What is? Posting like videos of listening to music and then saying what you think it sounds like. That sounds fun. Girl TikTok. I'm telling you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it was folklore that a witch could not successfully recite the Lord's Prayer. So when Burroughs did just that before being hanged on August 19th, 1692, This got a few people thinking. One exception to the hangings was the capital punishment inflicted upon a man by the name of Giles Corey, who was in his 80s when he was put to death. Corey's wife, Martha, she'd been accused of witchcraft and Giles, all wrapped up in this witchcraft craze, actually was all on board and supported the accusations against his wife. I mean, how long, how many years did they spend? If he's 80 years old. <laughs> no, she was actually, she was like his third wife or something. Oh, she okay. was I was going to say him. like, how, yeah, I 80? mean, after, after 60 years of marriage. You know? I get it. I get it. <laughs> after 60 years of marriage, like she is a witch. <laughs> anyway. He supported those accusations against his own wife until just a few days after her accusation, Giles Corey himself was accused of being a wizard. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> Corey refused to plead either way. He wouldn't say whether he was guilty or not guilty, and so he was subjected to a particularly harsh punishment. Giles Corey was pressed to death. While laying down, he had wooden boards placed on his body and then over the course of three days had rocks and boulders placed on top of the wooden planks with the objective obviously being literally pressing his body to the point of death. After two days, Corey's punishers asked him if he would like to now enter a plea, to which Corey replied, more weight. And so they did as he requested. They applied more weight. I'm just... 
like assuming as an 80 year old man that's being pressed to death he was like more weight (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean gosh like how like (laughs) more Wait, I'm so, just thinking, like, after a couple days without food, I'd probably be like, just kill me. But I said, think about all those things, not just your body's being crushed. Like, you've been going to the bathroom on yourself. Mm-hmm. You probably haven't slept, maybe slept, but at least not comfortably. No. Oh, no. Whatsoever. So, not good sleep. And yeah, you haven't eaten or had water in two to three days. It'd be like, I don't know if I can go on living. Give me more weight. More weight. Just end it. Just end it. But isn't that interesting that he chose to give me more weight, just kill me, as opposed to, yeah, whatever. I'm I'm a wizard, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Just three days after Corey's death, his wife Martha was hanged. With each accusation came more. Because the community learned that if you confessed and provided the names of others, you would be excused. In total, over 200 men and women would be accused of witchcraft, with 20 having been put to death for the crime and another five dying while in prison. When Governor Phipps' own wife was accused of witchcraft, Phipps called for the dismissal of the court of Oyer and Terminers. Shocking, right? At the turn of the new year of 1693, a new court, the Superior Court of Judicature, yeah. Is that how you say it? I like you always ask me. I don't f- know. You know more than I do. Okay. You do. <laughs> Was established to handle the witch trials. But this new court had one major instruction. They were not to consider spectral evidence when making their sentences. Mm. Does it come as any surprise at all that of 56 defendants that would be tried in the Superior Court only three were found guilty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By May of that year, Governor Phipps had ordered the release of all accused that were still imprisoned. Too bad for many of these prisoners that standard procedure at this time was that a prisoner had to pay their own imprisonment fees. So things like your cuffs, your chains, your straw bedding, your food, and more had to be paid before you could be released. Many found themselves having to sell themselves into an indentured servitude just to get out from behind bars. This is what happened to Tituba, whom we discussed in last week's episode. When Reverend Samuel Paris refused to pay her jail fees, she was sold to someone else for the price tag of her imprisonment dues. And just like that, the Salem witch trials were over. In the years following the trials, many came forward to state that they had been wrong about the whole thing. In fact, on January 14, 1697, the general court ordered for the whole town to take a day to fast and reflect on what they had done to all of those innocent lives in 1692 and 1693. I'm just trying to think about someone like a town, even a small town, ordering everyone to fast for a day in 2020. That would be excellent. Laughable. Excellent point. Again, this town. uh, So I don't know about in 1697, but I know in 1692 when all this was happening, there were somewhere between like four to 500 people in the town, which isn't a whole lot. Mm -hmm. What I find from this that is it's sad for me to say that it's it's impressive that people had some kind of decency. It's impressive to me that by 1697. So we're talking. Let me do math. Four to five years after these incidents occurred, that they, they were, were like, already we up, and that doesn't happen. No, you don't see that kind of stuff for decades if you ever get any kind of apology ever. Yeah.
1702, the court had declared the Salem witch trials had been unlawful. Within the next decade, a bill was passed to restore the good names of those accused. It wasn't until 1957, though, that the state of Massachusetts issued a formal apology for the horrific incidents that occurred on their soil. So what the hell happened here in Salem Village? There are a lot of theories. The first one I want to discuss is the, is the theory that perhaps there was actually something physically wrong with the afflicted girls. The theory is that the girls had been afflicted with ergot poisoning. Fungi. Fungi. Ergot is a fungus that can be found in foods such as wheat or rye. If ingested, ergot can lead to physical responses such as hallucinations, delusions, vomiting, diarrhea, and muscle spasms. I actually just read a little article or I don't remember, saw a video or something about there was like a year in, I think it was Spain in like, I don't know, the Renaissance era where they think it's due to ergot. Really? Where people were dancing. They danced themselves to death. <gasps> That's a good they were like they were like, oh, should we do that? It, that I was just thinking that bonus episode. Okay. It sounds like kind of a shorter one. Yeah, to- it, it would sounds- totally be short. But they think that, yeah, people were high. And so they were like dancing and twitching in the streets and just died. That is fascinating because you saying that some of these symptoms as a result of ergot poisoning were similar to like someone doing L- LSD. Yeah. It's, it had like similar symptoms. Mm. Mm. All right, maybe that's a hasty history episode, guys. I like it a lot. Is it possible then, you guys, that this is what happened to the afflicted girls of Salem Village? Is it possible that they ingested a fungus that caused them to have severe hallucinations and to lose control of their bodies and minds? Well, I'm so glad you asked me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because the answer is a big, fat no. This theory was initially proposed in 1976 by psychologist Linda Caporale and did hold a bit of weight for a short period of time. But over the course of the past 40 plus years, this theory has been professionally, scientifically, and categorically debunked. For one, while it is indeed true that ergot fungus very well could have thrived in the warm and swampy climate of Salem, and while again, it is very, very likely, of course, that the afflicted girls were consuming rye, the possibility of them getting ergot poisoning is incredibly rare. This is because ergotism only occurs in persons that have a significant lack of vitamin A in their diet. We know that this is not the case of the people of Salem because they had access to a very successful port which provided a steady diet of fish and dairy. Additionally, in Salem, where numerous people could all live within the same household, what would the likelihood be of only one person contracting ergot poisoning when all shared the same supply? For sure. To me, the primary evidence debunking the ergot theory is the girls' behavior. Ergot poisoning is just that. It's a poisoning, like food poisoning. Leah, you and I both have unfortunately had food poisoning. We've even discussed it in detail on this podcast. On this podcast, we have. It It sucks. But once you've been afflicted by food poisoning, uh, well, you've been afflicted. You are sitting <laughs> on the toilet 24 hours a day until the bug passes. Uh-huh. Now, of course, ergot poisoning is different from getting food poisoning from delivery pizza. But <laughs> that sounds personal. That's a personal note, guys. But the onset and occurrence of the symptoms is not. If the girls had indeed contracted ergot poisoning, then they would have exhibited the symptoms consistently and steadily. 
Rather, we read in records that the girls would have these behavioral fits for minutes, sometimes hours at a time, and then immediately afterwards skip off like nothing had ever happened. These episodes came and went. This is not the case with ergot poisoning. It doesn't come and go. Once you have it, you have it. But jumping back to what I said just a moment ago, similar to food poisoning, one of the major symptoms of ergotism is diarrhea and vomiting and stomach issues. But of all the afflicted girls in all of Salem, only three of them ever reported having any kind of stomach issues. Even still, there are a handful of historians that believe this theory to this day. But to me, it seems like a pretty easy one to disregard, not only because of all of the scientific data, but just simple common sense behavioral knowledge. The other primary theory, one that I have been alluding to this whole time, is that kids were being kids. As we discussed in the first episode, women in the Puritan society were viewed as second-class, inherently evil people. The next step below being a woman in Puritan society was being a girl in Puritan society. Female children had even less say and even less importance in the society. Children in general, male or female, were seen as the property of their parents, and in a typical Puritan society, the parent-child relationship was extremely authoritarian and entirely devoid of displays of love. In fact, playing, you know, like normal children do, playing was considered a distraction from godly duties, and children were therefore not allowed to play. That, like, literally, psychologists nowadays would, like, scream mm-hmm. now, and you i mean you remember being a kid like nowadays too even as an adult but especially as a kid your imagination is crazy all day long you're coming up with stories and games and I, I i mean i remember as a kid just like i feel like my imagination was like always going even oh, yeah. if it was like something as simple as like that boy's cute and now i've imagined a whole future with him and I, but I, now i sound crazy but like as a kid those are things you imagine or even like something as simple as i saw a dress in a store and now i'm imagining that i was wearing that dress mm-hmm. and i went to a party and everyone thought i'd look so cute in my little pink ballet dress or something you know yeah like children's imaginations are crazy they weren't allowed to use them yeah they weren't allowed because it was a distraction from god part of me wonders how much of that has to do with future generations problems inherited uh mental deficiencies for sure for sure probably live within society today okay (laughs) no sure i think that i think that is 100 percent valid and possible because you know like your parents reflect a certain behavior and then you duplicate it growing up and then then you you pass it down to your children even if it's consciously or not yeah yeah so having said all that is it possible that these afflicted children saw this as their one and only opportunity to receive attention yep (laughs) okay well that's leah's theory (laughs) and then when they quickly realized that they were actually being listened to and heard by adults and the adults were actually acting upon what the kids had to say i mean how much power do you think these kids felt from this and it seems crazy that the adults had listened to this in a male-driven world why were the men actually listening to these children these female children and acting upon what they said But it's important to remember that the Puritans left England because of religious freedom. They believed themselves to be this city on a hill that you read about in the Bible, a new generation of Israelites, God's chosen people. And this, they believed, meant that they were more susceptible to the devil's attacks. 
The more righteous and the more godly they were, the less odd it seems that the devil would specifically and personally attack their society. This is what a lot of these Puritan men believed. So to hear that the devil was in their midst and trying to destroy the religious community that they had created, even if the avenue of this information was a female child, then so be it. If anything, like the devil attacking their city on the hill, as you put it, Uh would literally be their way to say, see, we're right. We are. We are God's chosen children. 100%. And uh, piggybacking off of that. Remember the Reverend Samuel Paris? We talked about him a lot in last week's episode. We mentioned him a bit in this one. He wasn't super liked in the community. His, if you will recall, the afflicted girls began in his own household. It was his daughter and his niece. That is exactly what historians have said, is Samuel Paris very likely used that as evidence that the devil was personally attacking him and his household because he was such a godly and righteous man. Mm Mm-hmm. And he had done so much good for the community that the devil was trying to break it down. It's crazy. crazy. Now, I also think there is a possibility that these young women used this opportunity as somewhat of a movement, a movement where they bonded together and used their voices to create waves in society unlike they had ever been able to do before. And then, of course, the final and possibly to me most convincing argument is one of money and power. There was a huge power struggle between Salem Town and Salem Village, and in looking at the maps from last week, there was an obvious trend between those that stood accused and those that were doing the accusing. I think from those maps, it's clear that there was some vengeance going on from families, primarily the Putnams, deep within Salem Village, that wanted to show their position of power and authority against those in the community that lived closer to the Salem Town border and wished to blend the communities. We talked about this earlier, but the beauty of studying history is that hindsight is twenty twenty, and we get to sit back and judge and pick apart history with today's perspective. Now we can look at it with some real perspective. We can apply what we know today about the reliability of using witnesses that are minors, what we know about coerced confessions, but put yourself in their shoes in 1692. If we had been there, would we have behaved differently? Of course, we'd like to think we would. We like to think that we wouldn't fall victim to the craze and get swept away with hysteria, but it's likely we would have. Or if we had been one of those few people back then who looked at things with a raised eyebrow, it's very likely that we would have stayed silent about it because those that spoke out against the hangings were oftentimes also accused of witchcraft and condemned to death. So what are the contemporary examples we see now at the Salem Witch Trials? For one... They planted the seed for many of the court procedures we now have, such as the presumption of innocence until proven guilty, the right to legal counsel, and the right to cross-examine your accuser. You can still see contemporary examples of the trials all over Salem, Massachusetts today. Leah, I've uploaded a few pictures for you to check out and let our listeners know what you see. So excited for this. Uh, Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) So it is a police vehicle um and you know how they like put their badge on the side you know like a logo for the police department Mm -hmm. on the side of their uh vehicle it says salem police and at the very center is a witch riding a broom yep that is literally on police cars in salem massachusetts that's crazy and then welcome to and this is a second photo it says welcome to witchcraft heights elementary school so their elementary school is called witchcraft heights that sounds like something that should be in like 
Nancy Drew or something, right? Or that like, just took me back to Hocus Pocus. Oh, this whole thing is Hocus Pocus and uh, Halloween Town. The whole thing feels Ooh, like that to me. Oh, yeah. By the way, is it weird that I watch Halloween Town every Halloween? I watch it whenever I can. I love Halloween Town. Yeah, okay. And then this one, um, it's a little harder to tell. So we're I now looking. Totally oh, you got it. it. Never mind. We're now looking at a third per- picture. And I was going to explain what she's looking for. And I don't she... need you to explain it to okay. me. I'll explain it, guys. Me. It is uh, probably the high school basketball yeah, team from Salem. Salem. High school. Uh-huh. And their jerseys are normal jerseys. And you can see on it that they are called the witches. That is their, that is their team. Is... team name. Yeah. I was the um, Wolverines. That's right. You were. Yeah. You were. Yeah. I was trying to come up with something, but I was homeschooled, so <laughs> I was the witches because I wanted to be. There you go. You're the mermaids. Let's be I real. Love the mermaids. What is ridiculously fascinating to me is that all of these contemporary examples that we see, all the museums today, all the merchandise that those pictures that we just looked at, um, all the memorabilia that is sold today in Salem, which actually makes up eighty percent of Salem's annual income you guys 80 percent doesn't actually take place where the witch trials took place at all yeah because roughly 60 years after the salem witch trials occurred in an attempt to disassociate themselves from all the mistakes of their past salem village renamed their city to danvers which is what is there today danvers massachusetts What is Salem, Massachusetts today? The place that makes all the money off of being the historical location of the infamous Salem witch trials was actually Salem Town in 1692. And we know from that map that we viewed last week that Salem Town was not the hub of this catastrophic event. So determined to disassociate themselves from this tragedy, nearly any tour you take in Salem, Massachusetts about the Salem witch trials won't even take you into Danvers where it all occurred, even though it's only a 15 minute drive away. I was going to say, like, is did they not like bleed into each other? Because like now Sacramento, downtown Sacramento and Rancho Cordova, which used to be different cities are there's no I mean, it's all it just bleeds into it. Danvers is so determined to not be involved at all that like we looked at earlier, like where the 20 witches were hanged is now a Walgreens. Like they, they have not preserved the historical locations. I bet they regret that now. I, I don't think so because in this article that I was reading, um, it's fascinating that this much time after, and we know that people are greedy and money, money talks. I guess Salem... Massachusetts has attempted over the course of the last few years, at least from this article that I read, has attempted to get Danvers to like participate in their tours. And like, why wouldn't you want to be a part of all this money that we bring in every year? And we can bring tour buses into the exact locations where things happened. And as of, I think the article I read was like 2016. So a couple years ago now, Danvers all the way up to 2016 was like, we do not want to be a part of it. That's fascinating to me because like I said, money talks. Yeah. Like if you knew like, money is involved like yeah boost our economy a little bit bring bring them in they that that is how much they are ashamed of their history yeah i was gonna say just like we were talking about how mental illness travels from you know not travels goes from generation to generation this embarrassment this like we need to cover this up we can't talk about this this is not something we associate with probably is just like in their society that's exactly what you said same article that i read says that in like casual conversation you do not bring up the salem witch trials like it is an it is a forbidden topic 
That's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's so fascinating to me. And I just want you guys to know that those that are listening, because anyone out there that is planning to take a Salem Witch Trials tour or to anyone that already has, just know that all the tours and all the sites and all the museums are actually kind of bogus. Do they actually claim to be like the legit sites? They don't. I don't think they. I don't know. I don't think they claim to be, but I think that people don't ask. And you're going to Salem, Massachusetts, and they have all these uh, museums and tour buses and all that. I think people don't ask questions. They actually, same article again, and that article is going to be cited on our website that I read. Um, Same article again said that, like, I think it said, like, 9 out of 10 tourists will never go visit, like, the additional sites in Danvers that, like, tour guides recommend to them. Like, if you wanted to, you could actually see, like, the exact location. Nine out of ten people are like, no, I already saw so much in Salem where it didn't even actually occur that, nah, it's okay. I'm not going to take the 15-minute drive out there because public transportation, there's almost no public transportation between Salem and Danvers. They have, like, cut it off. It's fascinating to me. It's crazy. It's so fascinating. Because I think if you don't know this, you're going to go to Salem thinking you're getting this really cool nerdy tour, which is still going to be really cool and nerdy. There's a museum there with like original artifacts, Mm -hmm. but you're going to think you're where it happened and you're not. Yeah. It's fascinating. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share the pictures that we discussed in this episode to our Instagram. And all of those sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website, which hopefully you guys have checked out the new website since we talked about it in last week's episode. We are nearing the end of yet another season. So stay tuned because in next week's episode, we will be sharing some exciting, exciting news about our season four finale. And trust us, guys, we have something really exciting planned. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, do us a favor and subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use. Share it with a friend and give us a rate and review. And be sure, as always, to check us out on Instagram at Hashtag History underscore podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Okay, that was awkward. I I can't uh, can't compete. That was really awkward. Bye. Okay. She wanted some harmony. It wasn't gonna happen. He looks way bigger than like three months ago. Does he look fat? No. I said long. He looks like long. He looks like a grown up. He doesn't look fat. (laughs) (laughs) Careful, buddy. Yeah, no, he doesn't look fat at all. Good. Looking lean. Looking lean, mamas. The majority of the witness testimonies in these matters that came ooh, majority of the witness testimonies in these matters that came from those Oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Like I mentioned at the very beginning of last week's episode or last week's the very the end. Like I mentioned at the very I've been accused accused. She's been accused. Jacques. <laughs> Just three days after Giles Corey Guile Giles. <laughs> Just three days after Corey's death, his wife, Marta. <laughs> 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 See how it just. <laughs>
give up. <laughs> Your straw. Oh, I already said that. <laughs> I was going to repeat the whole uh, sentence again. <laughs> Your straw bedding, your food with like all of the, yeah. all of it too. <laughs> Spit. Uh, because, because, and adults, and adults, category, categorically, categorically, a woman in food and terminal, ter terminers, under attack, ugh. so determined to disassociate, dude.